Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Um, well, welcome to 2024. It's, it is a new year. I feel like I ask this every year, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Show of hands, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? This message is going to be terrible. One of you. One of you. How many of you resolved to never make another resolution? A few more. The rest of you just like didn't know it was New Year's and we just like, we just are, are moving into the New Year. I, I want to, I was reading this study uh, Forbes Health put out, it's two weeks ago. And what they said in this study was uh, that most people planned to make three New Year's resolutions if they were going to make any at all. Most people, if you were going to make a New Year's resolution, you plan to make three resolutions. And the top six, before I show the, vid- the thing, don't put it up there yet. The top six, if you were to guess what were the most common uh, New Year's resolutions, just shout them out. What would they be? Lose weight. What was yours? Health. Quit smoking. What else? Read books. Money. My New Year's resolution is money. All right. I love it. I love it. What else? More time with family. Is it, is it up there? <laughs> That's on there. What else? Somebody said something. Work less. All right. Here's what they were. Top six. Number one, improve fitness. Number two, improve finances. Number three, improve mental health. That's a big one now, right? Uh, Number four, lose weight. Number five, improve your diet. Those two are closely related, I would imagine. Number six, make more time for loved ones. So this time of a year gives us a very fascinating glimpse into people's lives. And here's why. You guys know, you know, like every year when Christmas happens, we learn something about how people shop, right? Because everybody's buying all at the same time. New Year's provides us another glimpse into people's lives because everybody, not this room so much, uh, everybody is making just choices to do something better with their lives all at the same time. Which, if you are someone who's studying stuff, it provides you a fascinating, like, sample to, to work off of for, for what happens with people. And most of us, at some level, whether it's at New Year's or not, most of us have said, I want something to be different about my life. Most of us, maybe some of you are like, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy with who I am and everything about my life. There's nothing that I would ever want to change. But for the rest of us, we have things about our lives that we're like, yes, I would like this to be different about my life. And, and maybe you don't want to talk about it, you know, maybe it's personal, but there's things that you're like, I really would like this to be different about my life. You know, maybe it's like, I want, I want to be better at relationships, or maybe it is one of these, I want to lose weight, I want to be more mentally healthy, or maybe it's I want to be more financially responsible. Anybody want to be more financially responsible, even if you didn't make a resolution, Right? I want to be more financially responsible. Maybe it's like I want to stop being addicted to this substance. Or I want to, I want to you know, I don't want to drink quite so much. I want to curb my drinking a little bit. Or maybe it's any number of things. We have all kinds of things that we say, well, this is something I would rather have be different about my life. But the fascinating part, which this study highlighted, the fascinating part of this is how 
terrible we are at this. How ridiculously unsuccessful we are at changing our lives. The, stu the study said uh, within six months, six months or less, 80% of resolutions fail. Six months. Think about it for a minute. If you want to be more financially responsible, within six months, 80% chance that's going to fail. Think about that for a minute. Like I'm, I'm, when I'm thinking about changing my life, I'm not thinking about changing until June. Right? I'm thinking about like I, I want it to be actually different. Right? Like I would like to be smaller than this. I want that to happen beyond June, right? But 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by June. That means four out of five times the changes that people go to make in their lives are done within six months. That's just resolution. Think about it for a minute. Like, this is a sample that we're looking at, New Year's resolutions, because we have a lot of evidence. But this is true of every change you make in your life, statistically. You want to hear something even worse? As if I'm just, happy new year. I'm just, just give you all the bad news up front. Okay. 6%, 6% of New Year's resolutions make it the whole year and get into the next year. 6%. Which means any change that you go to make in your life has a 1 in 20 chance of making it a year. Think about that for a minute. How many changes have you tried to make in your life? Lots, probably, right? Like, I have tried to lose weight most of my life, right? I have tried to get healthier and, and get more fit most of my life. One in 20 changes make it beyond a year. And here's the problem. When we fail at these, and some of you will know this cycle. If you don't know this cycle, you just haven't ever tried to change. When you, when you fail at these, what happens? You get stuck in this like shame, like, I'll never be able to do it. Maybe I'm just really messed up. Like, I have no self-control, and you beat yourself up and end up in this self-loathing, right? Like, how many times have I started going, I'm going to lose weight. I got the Lose It app, thanks to Evan from two years ago. I still have it. I even bought the Lifetime subscription, because I'm convinced it's going to last a lifetime. But the lifetime, it's a one-time thing. It may not be now, but I got lucky. Um, but the lifetime subscription, I've had this app for two and a half years probably. It was before TJ, you got me convinced. Sorry, I'll stop talking about that. I got this on my own. <laughs> encouraged by some friend that I have somewhere. Two and a half, you know, I haven't opened that app in a while. And what happens? Just like, man, I'm never going to be different. Right? Do you know this one? It's never going to work for me. I just don't have self-control. And I spiral into this shame and self-loathing. For some of us, it ends up in depression. You end up in a pit that you can't get out of. Six, 12 months go by before you get out of the pit, maybe longer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it gets even worse, right? You're like, how does it get worse for me as a follower of Jesus? You guys know the fruit of the Spirit, right? And the last one in the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. 
And when all of a sudden we discover that we who follow Jesus don't even have any self-control, not only is it I can't lose weight or I can't get financially responsible, somehow I'm failing Jesus. And it gets really hard, doesn't it? And then we go, no, 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 there's grace, there's grace, there's grace. Praise the Lord for grace. But this little thing, right, doesn't it do this to you? Or am I the only one that this happens to? And it gets twisted into our relationship with Jesus. This idea that we don't have any self-control. But what if I told you there was a secret that most of us don't think about? You're pre-programmed against this, I know. It's why you don't ever walk up to the guy at Sam's Club who's giving away knives. Because you know he's only giving you the one so he can sell you $200 worth of other ones. What if there was a secret that most of us overlook, that most of us miss when we think about self-control? When we find ourselves going, I don't have self-control and I'm never going to have it. What if there was a thing that you missed that you overlooked? And that, that thing would make all the difference in the world. What if there really was a key to understanding what it is that keeps us from actually pressing into self-control? We're beginning this series called Finding the Power to Change. And what we're doing is looking at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I want to read this for you. Most of you will be familiar with this. Galatians 5. Let me put on my glasses because I can't see anymore. 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Whether you follow Jesus or not, this list is likely a thing that is enticing to you. I've had lots of conversations with people who don't follow Jesus, who want to be more peaceful, I've had lots of conversations with people who don't follow Jesus, who want to be more loving, who want to be kinder people. You don't have to follow Jesus to want to be more self-controlled, to be more patient. This list is a list that people want regardless of whether or not they follow Jesus. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to work backwards through this list. Some of you are like, well, there were nine of those. And you only have six weeks. What you'll realize is in Advent, we talked about three of them. So there's the, that's the nine. We're making it up. But today what I want to talk to you is why it is that we struggle to have self-control. And the, the question I want to answer and look at today is how can I be a different person in 2024? Would you pray with me? And then we'll, we'll turn to God's word. So, Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that we need you. We need you to change us. And so, Lord, as we look at this question and consider what it means to actually live into self-control, Lord, I pray that you would bring your tangible presence, your nearness, Lord, that it would be... Um, that this would be a time of hope, actually, for people. Lord, would you give me your words to speak? Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place and fill me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And because I'm 
really big on wanting you to not just have one verse. I'm going to read to you the context of this passage. Galatians 5, beginning of verse 16, says this. So I say, this is Paul speaking, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And if you don't see your one that you want to change, feel free to add it. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. When you look at this list, like I said, most people want the things that that Paul says are the fruit of the Spirit. Most people want more self-control. Most people want to live in a different way. And when they look at the list before... Most people look at that list and they look at their lives and they go, well, I don't really want that. Most people want some, something different for their lives. They want more for their lives. And when we try to take steps to change things in our lives, the problem that we have is we think that the actual problem is bad behavior. Right? I don't like this behavior that I do. And so in, in our th- thinking about that, we say, well, then the right thing to do is good behavior. So let me stop doing this behavior that I do all the time, and let me start doing this behavior that I don't do at all. Right? Let me stop being financially irresponsible, and let me start being financially responsible. Right? Isn't that what we do? Let me stop eating the whole bag of Oreos, and let me start eating a whole bag of celery. Nobody wants to do that. But that's how we do it, isn't it? We, we think, well, it's behavior. I take one bad behavior and get rid of it and replace it with a good behavior and voila, self-control. And so long as I can hold on to the good behavior, I'm self-controlled. Isn't that what we think? We white-knuckle it. Can, are they getting white? This is how we do self-control most of the time, don't we? We don't actually, in our core, what we find is we don't actually want to do the right things. There's something at war with doing the right things. And so the way we do the right things in our lives is like this. Everybody's going to the bar, but I'm not going to because I'm trying not to drink so much. Don't we do that? That's how we do this stuff, right? Like, Mm, everybody's eating the cake, but I'm not going to eat the cake because I'm trying to be self-controlled. That's what we think self-control is. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm doing this. And that's how we do it. But it misunderstands the nature of self-control. 
Self-control in our minds is primarily an issue of behaviors. But the reason we fail is because the root of self-control is not behavior. The root of self-control is belief. It's not that you do the wrong things. It's that you believe the wrong things. That's the difference. It's not that you have eaten all of the bags of Oreos. I'm very well acquainted with this problem. Ask my daughter. I eat the whole bag of marshmallows. I've done that once. I've done that once. In the passage here, the word for self-control is a Greek word that's tied to the word contentment. Self-control is contentment. It's not doing the right things as opposed to the wrong things. That's fruit. Self-control is believing that I don't need something else to be satisfied. Are we preaching here? Self-control is recognizing that I don't need something else to be satisfied. I am content. And what that means is a lack of self-control is evidence of a lack of contentment. A lack of self-control is not bad behavior, it's bad belief. If you're someone who struggles to be financially responsible, the problem is not that you spent all that money. I'm just going to preach to myself, so if maybe you can come along with me. The problem is not that you spent all that money on all those books on Amazon by accident. Right? Or whatever else you spend it on on Amazon. This one's close to my heart. The problem is not that you spent all that money on all those books, because if that were the problem, you could solve the problem by stopping, like deleting the app, right? I don't have the Amazon app anymore, and so therefore, I have fixed my problem. I have fixed my self-control problem. That's not the problem, because it doesn't solve the problem. The problem is that I actually believe that I need one more book to be satisfied. The problem is that I actually believe that what it will take for me to feel whole, to be satisfied, to be loved or to be accepted or to be all that I hope to be, I need that one more thing that I'm buying off Amazon. And if Amazon is not your retailer, insert the one that you shop at. That's the problem. The problem is the belief. It's not the action. It's the belief. The action tells you about the belief. Does this make sense to you? I'm still preaching to myself. If you can come along, come along. If you are someone who struggles with overeating, the problem is not that you needed that third and fourth helping. If that were the the problem is not that you, you know, accidentally ate the whole bag of chips. If that were the problem, The solution is just to restrict the amount of food that's in your house, right? And some of you did that on January 1st. You just said, well, I'm throwing away all the Oreos. I'm throwing away all the the chips. I'm going to just have carrots and celery for all of 2024, and that will fix my problem. That's not the problem. The problem is that you actually believe in some way that eating this more food It's going to satisfy you. It's going to solve the problem that you have in your soul. It's going to make you feel more whole. The weird thing about food is that it's not primarily about hunger. 
These are things I'm learning myself. If this makes sense to you, great. The problem with food is most of us solve other problems with food. It's not that we're like, oh, I just don't feel satisfied with how much I've had to eat. The problem is that I feel lonely. I feel sad. And so I'm going to eat this whole thing. Right? I feel stressed. And the way I'm going to solve that is I'm going to make another sandwich. Right? I'm going to eat the whole tub of frosting. It will make me feel better. It's not, it's, the, it's a lack of contentment is the problem. Still preaching to myself. If you can come along, fantastic. Another example. Some of you struggle. You're like, I really want to be someone who gets to the gym. I want to exercise, right? I'm going to exercise regularly. And you're like, but my problem is the gym is like, it's so far away and you know, I got to get my stuff together and then I'm going to be sweaty and I got to go home and take a shower. It's going to take me like a solid hour and a half to get a workout in. And you think that the problem is the fact that the gym is inaccessible and that it's going to take a long time. And so some of you have bought all kinds of workout equipment to have at your house. Right? It's me. Again, I'm still just preaching to myself, but if you can come along, fantastic. Some of you have exercise bikes in your bedroom. <laughs> because the thought that you have is I don't exercise primarily because I don't have time and it's inaccessible. And if that were the case, all of that dusty workout equipment that you have that ends up on Facebook Marketplace by February wouldn't be there, right? That would solve the problem. The reason you don't exercise regularly is not because the gym is inaccessible and it's so far away and all the things. The reason that you don't exercise regularly is because you genuinely believe the other things that you put on your calendar are more important. Again, still preaching to myself. If you can come along, please do. You fill your calendar with things because you're not satisfied with the things that you already do. You're not satisfied with what life might look like if you had enough space in your calendar to actually go do the, the gym thing. And you think, if I just put one more thing on my calendar, one more meeting, one more book, one more errand, that will satisfy my life. It's a belief issue. Self-control is tied to contentment. It's a belief issue. A lack of self-control re uh, reveals that you genuinely believe at your core that you need something else to be satisfied. That's, what it is. That's the base level issue. Because here's the, the reality. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. You will always act out of what you actually believe. It's what happens. Jesus said this. Isn't this crazy? Jesus said this. Here's what he said. If, you, if you're reading along in the Life Journal plan, and we just read this yesterday. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Every single one of us acts out of what we believe. The actions that you don't like about your life are tied to the things that you believe inside. That's what you add. That's the problem. The fact that we don't understand this is revealed by the fact that we're always shocked when somebody who we thought believed something, who, who, we, who professed faith, all of a sudden does something that doesn't align with that. And we go, I don't know how they could have done that. I don't know how that pastor could have cheated on his wife. It doesn't make any sense to me because he's such a good man and he loves Jesus. But at the core of himself, he had a different belief. People act out of what they believe. That's always what happens. We get in trouble with this in this country. Maybe this is a little bit. We'll, We'll see. Don't stone me. We get in trouble in this country because we believe what politicians tell us with their mouths. Instead of looking at the quality of their lives and going, no, 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 what you say you believe, you don't actually believe. Because I can see in your life something else. It's what Jesus is saying. The fruit of your life is the evidence of what you believe. And that's true for all of us. When we find these things about our lives that we don't like, that we want to be different, that we want to live in a different way, the truth is, until we change what we actually believe, the behavior is always going to fail. It's why so many New Year's resolutions fail, right? People say, I'm going to be healthier in 2024. But internally, we haven't changed the belief that drives the way that we live now. And until you change the belief about who you are, Any change in behavior eventually is going to snap back to what aligns with what you actually believe. If you want a change in behavior to stick, you have to change the belief at the same time. That's why so many people, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or you watch people who have this experience. Somebody has a massive heart attack and they survive. And what happens? All of a sudden that person can lose weight. Been trying to lose weight their whole lives. All of a sudden they can lose weight. Why? Because the belief changed. Surviving the heart attack said, wait a minute, I actually have to make a change. I actually, it does, it's life and death for me now. A while ago, I, I, I well, no, I'm not going to tell that story. That's too close. Um, when people just about die from an overdose. It doesn't always happen this way. But when people all just about die from an overdose and they're rescued miraculously, a lot of times that's the thing that's like, I'm going to change this because the belief has changed. If you don't change the belief, you can't change the behavior, at least not long term. So far, so good. Here's the really discouraging news. Again, happy 2024. I'm glad you guys made it. Here's the really discouraging news. There are literally billions of dollars arrayed against you being content. Literally billions. This is how marketing works. 
Marketing works by making you unsatisfied with your life. We tell you that you're lacking this thing, and if, if you don't have this thing, you won't have a full life. If you don't have this, I mean, Facebook, right? Like, if you don't have this, this vaccine, you're going to die of Lyme's disease. Can you die of Lyme's disease? Is that a thing? This is something I learned from a friend about the advertising. Literally arrayed against you for the sake of having you feel discontent with your life. So powerful and so good are marketing agencies at what they do that even the strongest willpower can't fight against it. I know this lady, very close. It's not Jerry, just so you don't look at her. I know this woman who's, who's very, 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 very strong willpower. And even this woman eventually caves to the discontent that marketing offers you. Even the strongest willpower. So the question is, and I want to draw to the end with this, how does anyone stand a chance against the culture that's arrayed around us and the billions of dollars of marketing that are arrayed to make us discontent? How do we do that? Is it even possible? If you want to have self-control, you're going to have to find contentment in something that's stronger than what you have. Right? Think about what we, what we t are tempted to find contentment in. Well, if I only have this particular job, I will finally be content. Right? If I just get my stuff figured out career-wise, then I will be content. Right? If I, if I just raise my pay, if I just have more money coming in, then I'll be content. I'll be satisfied, and that'll, that'll solve my problem. If I just have this relationship, then I will be content with relationships. If I just have this particular item, if I just have this car, if I just have this house. See, the problem is, is you're revealing a discontent in the midst of saying, I'll be content when I have. We make our contentment based on things here that can change all the time. And there's no thing that you can attain on earth that will ultimately satisfy you. There's no thing that you have. The richest people in the world, when you ask them, how much will it take financially for you to be satisfied? Just a little bit more. Once your basic needs are met... Anything more is not going to satisfy you. doesn't matter who you are. It's not another thing that you need. Until you find contentment just as you are, you will always lack self-control. Verses 24 and 25 provide us the answer. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What this passage is trying to say to us is that the contentment that we need to be self-controlled doesn't live here. Everything that we long for, everything that we want, everything that we desire is twisted, and the only thing that actually provides the contentment that we need for self-control is to crucify our passions and desires and align ourselves to Jesus. That's it. 
It's that easy, right? Right. We sing, we, do, we sing these songs for worship. And I think it's fantastic. The, the thing that worship does for us is it puts us back in the way that we were actually intended to be. From the very beginning, we are intended to live in response to God to reflect who he is and what he's like into the world. And then to sum up the praises of all creation and direct them back to him. That's how we're designed to function. And until we get back in that place where we have surrendered all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our desires, everything that we long for, everything that we think will satisfy us, we say, God, I will take whatever you offer and nothing else, and I will do with it the best that I can to exercise your rule and reign in the world, and then I will come back to you and I will offer you the praise that I get from that. It's all yours. Until we get back in that place, self-control will always elude us. what it means to follow Jesus. See, Jesus invites us back into that place. He invites us to be under the rule, under the reign, under the lordship of God and allow him to direct our steps. And it's not just that he invites us into that. He says, and I will give you the spirit to live in you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I will Give the Spirit to live in you, and the production of that Spirit is self-control. It's one of the things. If you want to live a different life in 2024, if you want to live a different life in 2025, 2026, until the end of your days, the way forward is surrender to Jesus and to receive the Spirit that he offers that the production of your life would be self-controlled. That's it. It's that easy. It's also that hard. Because there's something else fighting against us, isn't there? This passage is all about the flesh that wars against us. Here's what I want to do. Would you guys stand with me? We're just going to invite God to come and minister to us. a couple of things that I want us to do. Number, the first one is if, if today is the day that you need to take a step to say, yes, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. Like I've never done that. I've done religious things. I've, I've done all kinds of stuff that I thought was going to help. But what I actually need to do is surrender to Jesus. I want to crucify the passions of the flesh and I want to live in line with Jesus. If that's a thing that you want to do today, I want to, to help you do that. That's the first thing. But I think one of the other things that is really, really important to do in this moment is as we talk about this passage and as we talk about a lot of this crucify the flesh and our desires, some of us have been formed and shaped by traumas that were done to us. Some of the ways that we react out of a failure for contentment comes because we were marked by someone else. We were marked by a situation. Sometimes the ways that we find ourselves addicted and running in different patterns is because of things that were done to us. And so I want us to pray for you as well. And then the third thing I want to do 
is for, the, for everyone else, I want to just invite you to receive the Spirit again, anew, afresh. That the, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that is produced by the Spirit in your life is self-control. I had four things. Oh, the fourth thing is this. Some of you are dominated by a spirit, a demonic spirit of discontent. And I want to pray today to break that. And so if any of those are you, any of those things, we're going to just all do this together, okay? If any of those things are you, I want you to just open your hands. And we're just going to pray. And I'm going to pray down through the line of those things. And you can just join in that prayer where it's uh, relevant to your life. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that the way forward the way toward the self-content that we, uh, self-control uh, that we so desire is contentment that we can't find here. And so today, Lord, in as much as we're able, we surrender all of who we are to you, Jesus. And we ask, God, that you would change our lives, that we would orient our lives around you as king. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would fill each person. That in whatever ways we sense just an absence or a lack of your presence and power, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with that now. Whatever the desire we have to be filled by your presence, Lord, would you do it ten times? Lord, for those in this room who have been marked by traumatic events and things that have happened to them, things that have worked their way out in addictive patterns, right now, Lord, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would enter into those spaces. And Jesus, that you would heal. I pray, Lord, for a healing of all of those ways that we've been marked and shaped. For some of us, that was really, really, really bad when we were really, really, really young. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enter into those spaces. You have that power to, to walk into the spaces of our past and to redeem our past, Lord, that we might actually be able to walk a new future. So would you come, Lord? And Lord, I pray now, just against a spirit of discontent that works itself out in cynicism and in um, justification and in anger, right now in the name of Jesus, I just break the power of a spirit of discontent. I just bind you now in the name of Jesus and I command you to let go and to leave these people and go now directly to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would fill those spaces with your love, with your joy, with your peace, with your contentment, Lord, would you bring us the healing we so desperately need to be the people you desire us to be. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast.
We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.